Well, good morning. Welcome to Q&A. We're really excited that you decided to hang out with us and grateful you've been on the live stream this morning. Had some great chats this morning with people, um, some new people joining online. So grateful that oh, you're here. Good. Yeah. And so this is your opportunity to send in questions if you had questions from the sermon this morning. And so the number is up on the screen. So we invite you to do so. We actually have a few that have already come in during the service mm -hmm. so we can... Get rolling. All right, let's roll. Let's do it. Uh, first question um, regarding the flaming arrows. Mm -hmm. If they are flaming arrows, would that mean he isn't shooting at me, but trying to wreck everything behind me? Uh, yeah, I think there's two images here. This is really, honestly, I appreciate that question struggled with in this text of, uh, I don't think that we should ignore the first part of the message that I gave, that there are arrows, there are lies. And sometimes I, I use the image so much that we forget. So I, I'm trying to say there's lies that are coming at us directly. Mm. There are lies that are uh, intended to destroy us corporately, but there are lies that are uh, directed at us individually. Now, the question was, um, they're not be directed at us, but directed around us. Certainly, there are lies that would destroy those things around us that would then potentially cause us to go, I don't have confidence and insurance in the Word of God and the faithfulness of God. So I think it's safe to say uh, our foe with a bow will shoot whatever arrow um, needed uh, as much as possible in order to render us useless and fruitless. Uh, I realized after teaching Thursday night, uh, Matt Collins and I were talking, and the part of the effectiveness of the enemy is he shoots some arrows at us, we block them, we block them, we block them, and then we think, okay, I'm doing well. And sometimes he uses even our... Uh, success for a while to be the means by which he gets us later, if mm. you will. So he's a he's a sly liar in the sense of community. He work he uses the work of God and then uses that to divide us. He used the freedom that we have in Christ to divide us. So yeah, he'll do whatever he can in front of us, to us, behind us, around us, for the sake of making us useless and fruitless in our walk with the Lord. Can't let your guard down. Uh, I can. Well, it can. But I pay the price when yes. I do. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I know exactly what you mean, but mm -hmm. I just want to be honest about that. We yeah. do. Yeah, I, I can. I, I wish I couldn't, but I can. Right. I can very easily uh, let my, my guard down. Uh, but we always pay the price. Mm -hmm. But we often believe the lie that we won't. That's true. That's true. Um, next question here. Some things that happen in life make it seem there is no God in control. Mm. Why would we believe something we don't have evidence for? Mm. It makes faith seem like a blind assent to something we can't prove. Yeah. There's no doubt, um, and this is why I went to, uh, to Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence in things not seen, that what we see going around us seems like God is not in control. If he, would, if he was, how are all of these things happening? So is our faith blind? No, I think what we see in the scripture, and this is what I would encourage the person who asked this question, is that you would begin to see 
in the scripture, we have multitude of accounts where what's happening in an individual's life, including the life of Jesus, seems to be as if God has lost control or God has removed himself. He's not, I mean, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, every disciple has run because they're like, this couldn't be true if he really was who he said he was. And this question uh, insinuates that same idea. This couldn't be true. God is in control, and, or if it was, this wouldn't be happening. But the old idea that it's Friday but Sunday's coming, mm-hmm. um, that, that which seems that God is not in control, he's not in a hurry. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And he is working all things together for good. But he can take away the scenic route, if you will, that it can appear at times that he is not in control. That's why I read the scriptures. That's why when I look at what's happening in the life of Abraham and I go, oh, wow, it looked like God didn't know what he was doing. And his wisdom was perfect. You look at the life of Joseph and you go, and you said your blessing was going to be upon him, and now he's in prison and forgotten. God has not out of curl. He didn't just like save it at the last moment. He was working all along by taking Joseph to put him in Egypt, to put him in prison, to make him forgotten in prison, so that at that moment that the Pharaoh would have a dream, Joseph would be there, and Joseph would accomplish the purposes that God had. So I read those accounts. Daniel in a lion's den, Mm -hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, faithful to the Lord, and then thrown into the fiery furnace so hot that others are burned up. And you see accounts where it's not that God wasn't in control. It wasn't that God didn't love him. It wasn't that God couldn't help. He was allowing things that seemed to not be of him to work so that he would receive the greatest glory. So I know what you're seeing, and I see those same things. But here's what I read, and I believe what I read demonstrates for me. It is proof for me. So it's not a blind faith. It is proof for me that God is always working, even in ways, even in times where it seems like he's not. Mm. That's my confidence in him. Um, Lots of brokenness in my family growing up. And you could look at that and go... See, um, if God was good, if God was loving, if God was working, that brokenness would not have been the case. But I can look back and I see how God uh, has supernaturally and graciously used that brokenness that the liar that our enemy intended for harm and for evil, and God redeemed it and made it for good. That is why and only why I can give thanks in all things, because I've come to believe the Lord knows exactly what he's doing, and he is working. He is in complete control, even when it seems, by my seeing, that he's not. And it's so powerful in those moments, or those experiences, when you have that testimony, to go back and Mm -hmm. remember the Lord's provision in those situations, what he intended, or what Satan intended for evil, God used for good. And it was a fulfillment of his promise that he's using all things for our good, mm-hmm. to grow us into Christ-likeness. And I know I have those in my life. And when you experience God's word is true, when you see it happening and mm-hmm. applying in your life, 
the importance of remembering that. Yes. Because that's the same God then as now. He's right. not changing. Yeah, we don't. These are, these are great historical accounts that remind us of the faithfulness of God in all things. Mm-hmm. But you have your own personal contemporary accounts of God's faithfulness. I have my own personal contemporary accounts of God's faithfulness. So, no, it's not, it's not a blind faith mm-hmm. at all. It's not seen, but that doesn't make it blind. It just means I can't see it yet. But there's plenty of things that are real that I can't see. Absolutely. And it would be arrogant to think if I can't see it, it's not real. Right. Absolutely. Um, question here about relationship with um, a brother in Christ. Um, how do you reconcile being bold for Christ with not offending a weaker brother? Uh, hard for me to, I wish I knew a little more specifics around mm-hmm. that um, because I'm, I'm trying to think, where would be a, a place of liberty mm-hmm. that would make you bold for Christ but offend the weaker? The, right. the closest thing I can uh, account is if you go back and read the 1 Corinthians 10 passage, Paul literally says, if it's an unbeliever who invites me to have uh, a meal with him in the temple with food sacrificed to idols— Absolutely. I know the truth about idols. I know there's nothing wrong with that food, and this will be an opportunity for the advance of the gospel. But he says, but if the person says to me, that food's been sacrificed to idols, they're very telling me of that, tells me that they are weaker. So be bold for the gospel when around unbelievers. Maybe sacrifice, and again, I don't know the specifics here, but sacrifice the freedom that you may have to be bold, but still righteous with unbelievers when around a person of a weaker brother. So I would often say to someone who has the freedom, and this is an easy one, and well, it's, it's a device, it's an easy example because it can be so divisive in sure. our current culture. Someone who believes that they have the freedom to drink alcohol, but not to drink it in excess because the scripture says don't get drunk. There, I would say to them, if the opportunity to have a beer with somebody or have a glass of wine with an unbeliever and not in excess and not encouraging their excess, but gives you opportunity for relationship. You might have a drink with them, but when you're with a person who doesn't have that freedom, then simply forfeit the freedom when you're that person so that you're bold here and sensitive here. I'm well aware that there are plenty of people uh, on both, side of, both sides of mm-hmm. that thought at the chapel mm-hmm. who feel freedom to drink alcohol and others who go, no, for either personal reasons, personal conviction, uh, family reasons, go, no, I would never exercise that. So to the, I would always say to everybody at the chapel who has freedom, Just because you have freedom doesn't mean you should always exercise it. You should be aware. There are folks at the chapel who don't have that freedom, and you love them. Paul says, I can give up some food for the sake of my brother. We should say with him, we can give up a drink for the sake of a brother. Um, So continuing about relationship between believers, uh, is every conflict between believers caused by or orchestrated by Satan? 
Well, we have an enemy, um, Satan, but we also have our flesh. Mm. So um, his lies may uh, pour fuel, if you will, on the flame of our flesh. But if you are being selfish uh, or you are being demanding or you are being unforgiving, or you're being stubborn, and, and that's causing break, brokenness with another believer. I, no, I don't know that you need to blame, blame that on Satan. You probably need to confess your own selfishness, your own heart of pride, your own hard-heartedness uh, before the Lord. So um, let's, let's recognize that though as believers we are no longer slaves to sin, we still do have a sinful flesh that demands its way, and we have to learn to teach our flesh. It will not be satisfied. Walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. And much of James, James says, much of our quarrels is because we're satisfying our flesh. We're demanding our own selfishness. So I wouldn't always blame it on the devil. Hmm. Um, so this question kind of wrote, Reminds me of last week when we were talking about guilt um, that would keep us from standing firm and advancing. But how do you defend against reminders of your failures in faith from the past? Hmm. Read it again while I turn. Sure. How do you defend against reminders of your failures in faith from the past? So times in your faith where you failed. Uh Uh-huh. And those reminders are coming Mm -hmm. back. Well, I'm just thinking of... Paul, who's saying, um, I press on. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of, of it yet. That is the prize of Christ Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, Yes, your past failures can become an anchor to keep you from moving ahead. So we don't uh, we don't serve ourselves or others well by denying that they were true. My past weaknesses are good reminders of me for me to give grace to others who are failing because I fail. So let it be a reminder of grace without being uh, that ball and chain that you drag along. When, uh, if there's past failures in your faith, we, talked, we did talk about it, then confess it. And when you're tempted to bring it back, you go, no, that has been taken out of the way. It's been nailed to the cross. So it's not weighing me down anymore, but it does give me reason to give grace to others who are still growing. It's, it's always easy to grow in our faith and then look with judgment back on others who aren't where we are in our faith. And it's important for us to go, no, there was a journey for us to get where we are in our faith. And they get, they get the grace and the time to be on their journey as well. We're just fundamentally can be very judgmental people. 
and our failures are actually good reminders of grace received, grace given, without being weights that keep us from moving ahead. So I, I hope that answers both sides of those questions. Anything you think I missed there? No, I don't think so. I think that the burden, you know, last week we talked about the being paralyzed by uh-huh. guilt. And so not letting that weigh you down from doing what the Lord has called you to do. Yeah. And, and so how, again, it's not complicated. It's just uh, diligence and uh, a commitment to continue to repeat. I've confessed that, and that has been mm-hmm. taken out of the way. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take the truth. We fight. We stop the lies with our confidence in the truth. I don't feel forgiven, but I am forgiven. I don't feel free, but I am free. I do feel condemned, but I'm not condemned. See, it's the shield and our confidence of what the Lord says that stops the lies from hitting us. So tell yourself those truths without becoming arrogant, as if now you're past your failures. You are past your failures by grace, so give grace. I don't know why, I just want to make sure. Uh, that we're as good at giving grace as we are in receiving the grace that we need. Absolutely. That's a really important part, especially in relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a big part of that relationship. And sometimes sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we are on other people, and sometimes we give our grace to ourselves that we wouldn't give to other people. I, I recognized as a parent, wow, I need to be willing to give grace to my kids as much as I give grace to myself, especially when it came to attitudes. Mm-hmm. You know, we always want them to have the right attitude, <laughs> yeah. even when I have a bad uh-huh. attitude about their bad attitude. Yep. <laughs> and so, so uh, why did I say that? Because we need to give grace as we need grace in the same way that we don't believe lies about ourselves. We don't believe lies about others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Just can think of many car rides where I'm driving frustrated by child in the back and the Lord's just like, this is how you behave. (laughs) That gentle reminder that's very glaring. So it's, yeah. And attitude just can be a harder thing to, behavior is one thing, attitude's another. And so I think about that in my walk with the Lord as well. It's my, my behavior before the Lord is one thing. It's my Mm -hmm. attitude towards him, which is another thing of, the peeling back of the onion of my growing into Christ-likeness. Have this, Philippians 2, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. So my attitude does matter. It absolutely, absolutely does. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your questions and hope you guys have a fantastic week. And if you need some additional encouragement during the week, don't forget you can download the new album, What Grace. Uh, um, I was listening to that driving around this weekend. A huge encouragement. Those uh, songs were gifts from the Lord to our worship team. Um, and they produce those to be able to share and encourage you. So I encourage you to do that and hope you have a great week.